0: Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision-maker on a film set. I'm Oz Arshad.
1: And I'm Marcus Thomas, and we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we're going to do our best to help bridge the gap. Hello again and welcome back. It's your favourite directing duo, Marcus and Oz. We're not a duo, we work separately, but I guess we both are. Anyway, London Film Festival's over. That was a wild trip. I'm currently suffering from all the intensity, but watched lots of good films, met lots of good people, watched The Kitchen on Monday to close it out, which is a BAFTA screening. Really, really well done. It got better and more confident as it went on. So yeah, check that out when it hops onto Netflix. It's actually co-directed by Daniel Kaluuya and Kibwe Tavares, regardless of what you're seeing about it just being Daniel Kaluuya's directorial debut. But yeah, exceptional work from all involved. So very, very strong. I caught up with Oz the other day, And he is midway through shooting a commercial, which looks very, very cool. It seems like it's a lot of fun, actually. He's rented out a whole manor house and shooting lots of genre-like stuff. He's good that he's just getting to like flex his muscles. And I think outside of that, he's doing his teaching as well. I'm also doing a little bit of teaching. And I think something I wanted to touch on actually, which was a bit weird, amongst all of the glitz and glamour and perceived amazingness of LFF, when I was sat down and speaking to people, everyone was worrying about money. Everyone was worrying about money. There's all of this front and all these stars in the UK and these big shot directors and stuff and it's all going on. But actually behind it all is all the crew and the people who are massively out of work and have been for months because of these strikes. It all feels a little bit false at the moment, which is is very, very sad. So fingers crossed there can be some sort of resolution. And yeah, on my end, now that my film is screened, I've kind of worked all year towards that. I am now trying to figure out how to make money, that's, that's my whole situation. So just to kind of keep you in the loop about that, we're gonna do a whole episode on, on money, I think at some point very, very soon. We're just making the steps to make that happen now, because I think that's something which isn't really talked about and isn't very clear about what people are walking into financially in our agent episode episode four with Mark Brennan we touch on it but we need to get into specifics about how people survive and things so we want to really really break that down but yeah where, where I'm at, at the minute is I'm I'm currently doing little bits of teaching here and there and I'm working to to do more of that whilst I'm waiting for someone to take that chance um and do the and give me like a second unit directing credit or to getting rooms to start directing stuff myself which I'm more than capable of doing as are most of our listeners i'm sure so yeah it's one of those situations it's a waiting game it's a long game it's all going to happen and it's just the case of putting yourself in a position financially where you can wait it out and wait for that moment to come so that's the real situation it's one of those both me and ours are more than capable of doing the thing it just it takes time doesn't it the whole thing takes time but beyond that as ever amazing episode amazing guest come in more craft more life enjoy Hello and welcome to the Director's Take podcast. As you can see from the title, we've got another wicked guest on today. So today we've got Imdemiri, who was born in Hammersmith and up until the age of 12, Imdemiri had his heart set on becoming an author, but on discovering that his friend's new camera had a video mode, that love of storytelling transferred to making films and he began making them from there, often playing every role himself. He took part in the inaugural BFI Film Academy scheme for aspiring young filmmakers and subsequently studied editing at the National Film and Television School. And how old were you when you got in there? I was 20 when I started. <laughs> wow. Disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> uh, his, his first credit came on an independent feature called A Moving Image, directed by Sheila Amu and produced by Rin Ato, which premiered at the BFI London Film Festival, I believe. Um, and you, do you cut that whilst you were at film school as well?
2: Uh, actually, just before. I think in my first term at film school, we were like doing the sound mix, I think. Wowzers.
1: And yeah, this ultimately led to bigger standout films such as The Last Tree, again with Shola Amu, Blue Story, which was written and directed by Rapman and Debbie Tucker Green's Ear for Eye, which was recently added to the Criterion collection. He's a screen star of Tomorrow. He's a BAFTA breakthrough Brit and he's an all round great guy. Welcome to the podcast and Damirian Kimi.
2: <laughs> Thank you for having me. That's an amazing <laughs> intro. I'm going to steal that bio. Just update my bio. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'll send you it. You.
0: you know what's you know, you know what's interesting about you M mdemiri is that people who are in the industry that are, you know that, that have been coming up for the last two three years mm-hmm. who were worth their salt yeah. in terms of their craft must have heard of you or someone might have said oh, i can get M mdemiri to edit or oh, i might know mdemiri wants to edit <laughs> you know and i definitely had that like shereen ali our mutual uh friend she definitely like had put you forward a couple of times to edit the show we were working on uh, i think you were busy at the time though
2: that's really that's really nice to hear. I feel like i yeah, yeah I've had a long a long period where I just made it my goal to like, meet as many people as I could and work on as many projects as I could just like try and get my name out there. well you did mm we'll dig into that for sure yeah yeah, yeah.
1: it's all working i could have made that biography much longer but i thought it was better to save it for the conversation so yeah i think i think it'd be cool to say like where we met it might have been back in 2013 potentially like i was working on a grad film at the the national film and television school and i remember because i was because i was a runner i was just driving everyone around and you were doing DIT work and you were like 16 or 17, and this was like my first or second time on set. and I didn't even know what a DIT was, and you were like there being trusted with like the rushes for this thing transcoding. I was like driving you to and from this old lady's house, which had good internet, and they were oh, yeah. like feeding you strawberries and oh, shit. That,
2: that old lady's <laughs> house, I remember that was a whole that was an interesting experience, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but it was pretty mad because I, I, yeah, it was, it was, it was just very clear from back then that you kind of, I think what was also weird is that i kind of had seen one of your short films online already at that point i was like oh this is quite cool it just popped up on my facebook i think it was something about like a, a homeless dude who stumbled across like a rift in oh. space time or something
2: <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and it had like
1: visual effects in and stuff and i was up like, and shot on a black magic i was like oh, this is pretty fancy just assumed it was like some some random people and then lo and behold it was this like 17 year old <laughs> young filmmaker <laughs> making crazy shit um so, yeah, your, your trajectory since then has been um, super impressive. But I think I remember you saying back then you started editing when you were like 14. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I just sort of discovered editing software. I think, yeah, when like, I think when I was about 12, I yeah, went to a friend's, um, one of my mother's friend's parties and she had like a Mac sitting in the back room and I just spent the entire party in there and not <laughs> not actually socializing <laughs> with anyone. I was like, oh, my God, what is this? What is, you can put pictures <laughs> and sound and like move things around and tell stories uh, and then just became obsessed with it. And like, you know, downloaded, I think it, I think it started, started with like Windows Movie Maker and then iMovie and Wow. Um, kind of YouTube tutorials and kind of tried to teach myself everything. Uh, mm. And as you, yeah, as you mentioned, I was really into like video effects at the beginning as well. So like i spent been ages like learning after effects and i like, trying to work out how to like, I guess I like, build worlds and, you know, in, in, in stories and in short films and stuff. Yeah. Just trying to like, learn as much as possible.
1: Wait, wait. was this like pushed on you in any way or were you kind of like pushed in that direction or was it this is all just happened by chance and just through passion that you were you were doing all this?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I was homeschooled when I was when I was growing up. So the sort of big plus of that is that it kind of gives you a lot of free time to sort of work out what your passion is and, and to fully really go in that direction. And I think I mean, if, if anything, maybe it was accidentally pushed on me because my mother had a lot of like books at home. Right. and so i read loads when i was growing up and as you know as i said as you said that I, I was i wanted to be an author first um so i always had like this love of storytelling um and then i think sort of i naturally sort of stumbled into film and realized that's why i wanted mm. to tell stories it'd be intrig- intriguing to know about
1: your trajectory in terms of what took you from that point of like a young person who's just interested
2: in film to then getting into NFTs at 20 like how did that come about I mean, I think it all mostly comes down to like the bFI Film Academy. I grew up totally outside of film, so I kind of I discovered it and knew that I could do stuff on my own, but that was kind of it, and I didn't really I didn't know like where that could take me. Um and then I did you know the first year of the bFI Film Academy, and it's kind of my first time. They do like a regional. Uh, version and then out of the regional version they pick, I think think in the first year it was like 54 people to do the sort of main intensive one. And Mm. yeah, even just from doing the regional, it was just, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, wait, you can work in in teams with other people and like people have different roles. You don't have to do it all yourself and you're working together collaboratively to make a project. And so that was super exciting. And then. You know, did the re- did the residential was at the National Film and Television School, and that's why I discovered that that was a school that existed. Yeah, and that also blew my mind. Uh, and I think it was like at that point, you know, when I was like seventeen, that I was like, okay, so I did, I'm definitely they won't let me in now, but at some point, as soon as I can, I'll come back and study here. Because didn't you go to
1: like Ravensbourne? Because I think that's what I remember you doing. Mm. You kind of finished school, then you went to Ravensbourne, but then. <laughs> Did you not finish yeah. the course? You went to NFTS instead? Like, how did that work?
2: Yeah, so that I... Or was a
1: shorter course?
2: I, uh, well, funny story. I would say it was a longer course. It was three years. Uh, and then a year in, I think, I realized that, I think because I had the disadvantage of being homeschooled and having like taught myself a lot of stuff in advance, I was slightly ahead of where the course expected the students to be. And so the course offered a uh, sort of fast track version that was two years instead of three years. And it meant in the second year, you could work part-time in the industry as well are studying. Mm. And I had this commercial place that wanted to offer me a job as an, as an assistant. So I was like, okay, I'll switch to the fast track and do just a year of Ravensbourne, And also I'll get the opportunity to work in commercials. And that's what, around that
1: time is when Shola Ami reached out to you to work on A Moving Image. Is, is that right?
2: Yeah, so something else also came out of the Film Academy because he was one of the, um, I think mentors on that first year. Mm. And because he just graduated from NFTS and so uh, we sort of really bonded, I think he shot like a a teaser, like a for, his fundra- for a fundraiser for a moving image and I got to help out on that as a DIT um, and then yeah we sort of stayed in touch. So I actually ended up living when I was at Ravensbourne in his old bedroom because he'd moved out of his family home and I, mo- I moved in because <laughs> um, I needed That's somewhere nice. to stay. <laughs> yeah and then like yeah I guess so, like a year later he called me up and was like hey do you want to cut, I'm doing this, I'm doing moving images as a feature now. Would you like to edit it? And obviously I said, yes, definitely, hundred percent.
1: That's a crazy level of trust to like oh, no. put in you as well, right? Like it's such a, like a young age, because I'm sure like having gone through NFTS, he would have known a bunch of NFTS editors as well, like past and present. who could have, he could have just like brought on, I'm sure he was done the same thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, I guess a combination of two things. One, I was like really lucky in that the editor that he like had worked with before NFTS had just moved back to France so he was mm. he was kind of had a hole um, <laughs> but also actually more importantly Shola has this really really great like ethic when he puts together teams of focusing on building and putting together people that he, he knows and trusts and wants to support mm. so with The Moving Image and With The Last Tree you know he sort of built this team of people who not necessarily had done that role well before but he felt like they could get there and, and he would want to be part of helping them get there and sort of grow with them and mm. so that, that was yeah a really great position for me to, to be in at
1: that time that's amazing. Wow. You really like need that as well, don't you like because otherwise what's the alternative is that like you'd have gone through the NFTS and had an amazing like bunch of short work to show. Ify. But then when you're coming to do that feature, they'll be like, but you haven't cut a feature yet. Yeah, completely. So I've, it kind I've, of removes yeah. that barrier like, immediately.
2: Yeah, ex- exactly. I, I managed to soda thankfully helped me sort of skip that step. But I've had that with TV, you know, people go, you can't do TV because you've not done TV before. And they go, well, mm. how, well, how can I do TV then? Like you just get this and every every avenue of, of film
1: and TV, you get you get this. That's so wild. And so, yeah, just kind of continuing on your journey into the NFTS. It can be a very sort of difficult place to navigate because everyone there is usually like 25 plus. Okay. they like people who have kind of done the university thing, gone out into the industry and then they've come back and they really want to specialise. It can be quite difficult because it's a bunch of artists in the same place and mm-hmm. there's, there's some weird sense of competition-ish. <laughs> Which isn't spoken of, but it kind of is there, and you can't get away from it. So it's like, how did you navigate that as as a, a younger person, and how did you kind of build the relationships and and yeah,
2: survive? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was tricky, definitely, because <laughs> yeah, everyone's uh, everyone's at least five years older than me. We had a good year, and that everyone was actually quite supportive of each other in my year. There were you know, obviously there were dramas in every year, but our year on a, as a whole were quite close and quite sort of closely knit but I think even inside that yeah it's definitely a struggle and and you know being the young person but also having come from being homeschooled like I was obviously super shy <laughs> and and um, mm. wasn't sure how like how to navigate that and how to start like meeting people I think I think I sort of decided early on that I was going to focus on my work and sort of let that speak for me and hopefully that people would like what I did and then want to want to read you know reach out to me and, and start being friends with me and it sort of started happening that way and then you know just be your because everyone's making films and such a high pressure environment you have to start talking to people and getting to know people and so by the second year it was fine but it definitely mm. was like a slow process of getting
1: into it like you felt like you had to not prove yourself but there's an element of that i guess in, yeah, the, in the beginning I, yeah
2: i think so i mean definitely because i don't know if it's changed now but the time you were, you know you get put together in teams in the first year but then in the second if you're graduation films you're um picking who you want to work with so from the beginning everyone's on the lookout for like okay is this person going to be good enough to work on my film and you know etc and so Mm. yeah it's kind of proving yourself
1: yeah like to tell stories and I think it's part of why they they like people to have a bit of experience when before they go in their life experiences Mm -hmm. is there's something around like you have to do a lot of soul searching and kind of have like knocks and stuff to kind of understand what you want to do and like your own sort of style and taste and kind of be able to be confident enough to lean into that Mm -hmm. and I guess like I think with with you you've somewhat had more of an understanding of what that is and what that means to you from an earlier age which i think kind of shows in your work so if you've deconstructed that yourself it'd be intriguing to know where that come from and also throughout navigating the nfts and onwards how has your taste sort of like grown and your style grown and your confidence in it
2: Hmm, good question i guess i kind of then before before nfts i worked on like tons of shorts at, um, at Ravensbourne and, just, and then just outside of school you know, just to get loads of experience and work with different you know, directors. And I think that taught me a lot about, one, just about how to make a film good and what makes a film not good. Mm-hmm. But also specifically for me, just like what kind of projects I like to work on and what kind of collaborative teams I like to work with and how best I, I work. Yeah, and so that I guess that helped me navigate through NFTS because I had sort of had that head start. What am trying to say, I guess I feel like I learned that an editor... In my opinion shouldn't really have a style. I think DPs should to, have to some extent and you know obviously directors should have a voice but I think editors, a good editor is someone who can be brought onto a project and can work out kind of the voice of the project and the voice of the director and, and help realise that and, mm. and pull out kind of what's in the material to help to help best uh, articulate and express what the director is trying to say. And I, I remember sort of learning that quite early on and, and sort of going, oh, okay, I, I, need, I need to avoid having like... I, for example, don't particularly like cross but <laughs> I wouldn't mm, start a project mm. going, well, I'm not going to do any cross-dissolves because that's my style. I that's get, interesting. Because there's a
1: lot in Last Tree,
2: right? I like, honestly, I think Shayla forced me into some of them. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but okay, it's not like a blanket statement. I do, I like a purposeful cross-dissolves that mm. feel like they're telling a story. I don't like them when they're they feel kind of sort of vague and not really, they're not there to do anything. They're just like to You're kind good. of smooth out a cut, but, but not really telling the story. Yeah. But again, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and do that on every film because I try and go, okay, what is the film? What is the language of the film? And how do I best do it? Do you think like the, the homeschooling aspect had anything to do
1: with it? Because I think a part of the, the social aspect mm-hmm. of, of kind of being in a school is is a big part of it. And in school, it's so intense. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to like fit in or... You're going to get bullied essentially. (laughs) So, I guess you were kind of like free from that sort of noise. So, I guess you could, you're probably more in tune with who you are, I guess, from an earlier age rather than someone trying to like just fit in and then having to
2: figure out who they are later. Completely. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I think I didn't have to, I didn't go through that period of having to fit in. And so, I I could just be me and my my weirdness and that was fine. (laughs) And no one told me that, no one told me not to do that, but that wasn't okay.
0: You, the number of credits you've wrapped up uh, is insane like <laughs> as, as as we speak it's like 70 plus just editing which that's is yeah. yes, pretty yes, insane well. I'm B. <laughs> yeah um just well, the announced ones i didn't even know like <laughs> some of the stuff that you'd i knew that's sort all of, like later on when i when, when i you know found out who you were like i'm watching that chester p for homeless thing back in 2015 oh, yeah. you edited <laughs> Like, the, I, 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 like little things like that I didn't, I didn't realise and it's mad like when you've wrapped up so many credits that you do actually a lot of people have probably seen your work so you said before that you know during that time when you were doing tons and tons of work to kind of like find out the type of stories that you liked and art I guess is one of those things where I know mean, you're saying that editors don't have style but you still have to like you you still have to shoot from a point that's part of your Yes uh, that's true that's aura it. and your soul mm-hmm. so what kind of what kind of stuff did you start liking and realize that this resonates with me, and this story and emotion
2: resonates with me, which is why I can bring that out in the edit because it's is a it?
0: personal thing.
2: I think I kind of realized. I don't know if there's a specific. Yeah, this might not give you fully answer your question. I don't know if there's a specific like you know this is the genre or this is the the not kind of broadly, story. No, just broadly, just a type but of. Yeah, but but why? I, I guess what I was, what I am drawn to, and what I realized I was drawn to is kind of stuff that feels. Um, a bit weird I guess a bit unconventional a bit um, something I've not seen before I think I'm really excited by projects that are you know perhaps by a person who's not made a film before or, or not or about a subject that's not really been told on film before in a mainstream way and that to me feels super exciting and it feels like a kind of new voice and a chance to to do something that that perhaps hasn't been done you know yeah in a, in a mainstream kind of way I think that that's the kind of projects that really excite me distinctive sort of original storytelling um, especially stuff that play like plays the form, like I think, like the last tree, you know, was had this like really specific subjective style um, that mm. we sort of like went full force into. I did this like film called Blue Story that was very sort of unconventional and and used like kind of half musical, half narrative mm. storytelling, and so that kind of stuff. Just like from a selfish point of view, it's just fun because it it just feels like I get to do I get to work a different muscle. Oh, and and when you left film school, you like what kind of happened then? Was there
0: was there a bit of a lull um you know because i guess up until that point you kind of been like you said just been living in the structures of the school union film school and whatnot so how did you kind of like navigate that initial period because you definitely had like a professional life before school and and during school and, and and did that just continue was it seamless for you
2: kind of but i was quite worried because i part of the reason why i went to film school even though i'd started working was because i you know had this job as an assistant in commercials, but it definitely wasn't film. And I was realizing that I was really enjoying doing that and <laughs> the pay was great, but I wasn't doing my passion. And I, you know, the advice I got from, uh, sort of mentors was either I need to go back to the beginning and start as a runner, but in film, or I get someone like the national film school and hopefully use those connections to sort of go sideways into film. And so I picked that because I'm an impatient person <laughs> and you know, because I'd heard of NFTS and before, yeah, but then, yeah, when I graduated. I was very, very lucky and Nick Powell, who, you know, unfortunately, you know, passed he's passed away now, but he had just he was the director of the film school, but then he I went back to sort of his freelance producing career. Um and he I think had seen my graduation film uh, and called me I think <laughs> it was almost immediately after graduating, called me out of the blue, uh, when I was walking down the Street, I think, and he was like Hey, i I need some, I need an assembly editor for my feature that I'm doing. Would you be interested? And I was like, what? Why is Nick Powell calling me? This is so crazy. But um, <laughs> I remember, like, I think I remember him offering me like a rate that wasn't that great. And I was like, can I, can I ask Nick Powell for more money? It's like something I could do. Like, I don't know if you guys have, and you, you might have met him, right, Marcus? No, well,
1: briefly whilst okay. at earlier points. But yeah, he, yes. he wasn't there when I was there.
2: But his yeah, okay. I've met him. He he was there when I was there, yeah. This like, huge energy and but like this legends, yeah, like, yeah. legendary producer. So I was like, I feel like I can't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway just to see what happens. And I asked him and then I remember, remember there was a pause and then he laughed and was like, I really admire that you asked, but no. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, Nick. <laughs> um, and then anyway, so I did I did that. Um, There's a film called Rattlesnakes, the assembly editor oh, on. And then yeah. I think either during that project or just after... Uh, Shola then called me and said, it's uh, really great timing for me. I'm about to do my second feature, The Last Tree. Uh, would mm. you be interested? And so, yeah, obviously I said yes and then went on to that. And so there wasn't
1: much of a lull at all. You kind of managed to just keep going.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think through Nick and then through Shola and, oh, and also I met the producer called Fiona Lamptey, um, who mm. is absolutely amazing and has done so much incredible things and you know yeah. up until recently was the head of uk film for netflix she was a huge supporter of me during that it is this is just a huge supporter of me and and uh a lot of the projects i did a lot of short projects also during that year and all pretty much entirely through her um mm. so basically between her and shayla i just i kept working which was great because so i was going to speak to you about that it was, um obviously
1: seeing you from afar and like watching the journey, I saw sh- lots of short films just mm-hmm. kind of that were making waves or like just got into X Festival, Y Festival and it was always by you. Uh, <laughs> so it's like films like uh I think Masterpiece from uh Renure fumo and entitled from Adieim and Michael and I think quite recently ish is Devil's Harmony with Dylan Holmes Williams, which won the big prize at Sundance. You you continue to make lots of shorts alongside your long-form work so i am intrigued to know what what decisions you make when choosing to work with quotation fingers for the audience yeah. less experienced <laughs> filmmakers and work on shorter <laughs> projects as well um yeah
2: so I, mean, I guess I you're think binding it, into the person aren't you completely and i think it's i think i'm i'm always super excited to work on shorts even when i'm doing long-form stuff and i want to keep doing that for as long as i can I mean, it, it's just like a, a you know going get, to, as I said before, like flex a different muscle, work with a uh, first time or not necessarily first time, but kind of a new director and and uh, build a build another relationship. Um, I always mm. f- I've, I found that really useful for me, like from early on. So I know how important that is. And a lot of the short uh, short film directors I've worked with, you know, even the ones you mentioned, you know, have now done like quite big deep. Like Yoraro isn't you know, did Sex Ed after um, mm. after that after our shorts together and so yeah so you're you're building a new new relationship you're having starting that collaboration so that's hugely important to me and I guess also yeah the story if it feels something that is exciting mm. and original like dylan's dylan's thing i'd literally never seen anything like that before when he sent me that script yeah. um for devil's harmony yeah i
1: really watched it again the other day because mm-hmm. i was just on disney plus and looking for something to watch. Oh, I was oh, like, yeah. oh i wonder what's going to be on shorts and then i saw that was there i was like oh, i'll give it a watch <laughs> and um yeah he's it's such a interesting short because it feels like a 30 minute episode of tv or something but it's obviously not like it's it tells it does a lot in a short space of time in terms of yeah setting up everything it's really really well done
2: that was that was a huge challenge of making it like that project took i think the longer that's probably the longest i've ever spent on one short and mm. it's because uh dylan is a perfectionist in a great way like it really worked for that film because he, he you know we did the first cut and it was like okay and it was funny and obviously the concept is great so that shone through but dylan would keep going no it's not it needs to be better like how do i make this better and then he'd go back and reshoot and we would recut it back in mm. And he just kept working on it for I think like two years before Wow oh, Wow it got, to that, it got to that version. And then I'm I'm really glad he took that time because it it paid off.
1: Yeah, yeah. And did the voiceover, did that did that come through was that in the script?
2: Like no, that, that was the kind of sort of final save and grace that made that brought it all together. I think we mm. uh, because, because you said it was like kind of uh almost like this T V uh, you know, pilot that that had all these all of these scenes and all these like different relationships and all these characters um mm. and then eventually i think dylan and, and Jess the writer realized that the way to tie it all together was to put you know put the audience directly into the perspective of the main character
1: mm. that's really smart because that's like it doesn't even feel out of place oh no it's like um, perfect it's like yeah. exactly
2: what it needed to be it, yeah it, it, i think there's always like the the best solutions in when you're making a project is the ones that feel like oh yeah of course it had to be like this the whole time why didn't we think about mm. this at the beginning
1: <laughs> yeah and that's the whole process of discovery, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think we should now delve into craft and sort of like swim around in your brain, and see how you <laughs> how you think and how you approach. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what we do here at um, you know on the Diary. Just take you know we, you know we are Max and I are big geeks about craft, and we love to just like learn from people's processes. Um, I think that's the that, that's that's the way you know to do it. So, at what point? you brought onto a project and what are the first conversations with the director like after you've chosen the project you're like yeah I, I, I really feel this this is this is fresh this is new i want to be part of this what are those early conversations like
2: yeah i think um i in the ideal world and brought on the project as early as possible i think it's like collaborating and and i, I to to director's head and so if i can be brought on while you know while they're writing the script even like that would be that's amazing for me and and just talking to them throughout the development process as they're figuring out the shape of the film and you know whether or not they want my feedback or not. Just being able to like get inside their head, I think, is super helpful. And I'm yeah, I'm asking them a lot about you know the tone of the film, the style of the film, the kind of how they're visualizing it, like it references, all that kind of stuff. What's been really nice is that I, you know I have to I keep having to learn to adapt my processes depending on who I'm working with. So you know, Shola, for example, will have like very clear references and and be able to show me like, okay, it's kind of, there'll be a bit, there's kind of like this shot and like kind of like this shot in this film and we'll have this kind of music. Um, whereas like Debbie, who I absolutely love also, she makes it a point to have this, like kind of almost like zero references. And she'll be like, no, mm. this is, let's work out what film this is together, but it will be kind of in this bubble of this film. Um, and that's really cool too, because then, you know, she has this huge theater background. And so, you know, we'll go watch plays together and, uh listen to has a huge musical knowledge as well so we listen like go to galleries and, and listen to music and all that kind of stuff mm. and it's just trying to work out like and i guess it's not just what what's in the director's head and how they visualize the film but also kind of working out taking a step back and working out like how the director thinks mm. um and so so that when we're working we can have a uh a common language and i know that if i communicate in a certain way they'll they'll get that and they'll understand how to you know what i'm trying to
1: say and I guess in having seen so many directors working at various levels of experience, like what are the, the biggest issues that you see um, in, in their, in their work, whether it's like the rushes or, or the work that's been shot, or even like from the story, the clarity perspective, you can be very vague. You don't need to. <laughs> <under the> <laughs> no, we never
2: do that. Um, I mean, I think a big, thing that I've noticed with first time directors but also any directors of any level is how much they trust their collaborators and are willing to take on their feedback. And I and I feel I remember this back even back in film school, I worked with directors who were totally on one side of the spectrum, you know, who wouldn't kind of wouldn't let any other voice into the film and what they had in their head was gonna be the film and that was going to be it to the other side where people had absolutely no idea what they wanted and it was kind of down to their collaborators to kind of work out the film they were trying to make and neither I have not seen either end of the spectrum work and the best directors I've worked with are those who can balance it and they're in the middle and very confident about their vision and know the film they want to make and how to communicate and they're really good at communicating that to the different departments but also really understand the value of the fact that they brought on you know hopefully they brought on really talented people who were going to who, who they respect and, and admire their vision and want to take those points of view and help them help them make the film better. Um, and I don't, that's not necessarily accepting everyone's idea. It's listening to the ideas that that do resonate with you and in, in the film you're trying to make, and and then and then incorporating them, or at least be willing mm-hmm. to like see them executed and then going actually no that doesn't work for me or that does work for me. And do you see
1: anything in the in the rushes themselves, which like is is not helpful to you <laughs>
2: um,
1: <laughs> or like makes your job harder which which you could kind of
2: is there anything i mean i don't know i mean everyone's got different styles uh and i mean i don't know if there's an easy answer like coverage because you know some films don't have coverage and they're great and that's exactly mm. what they needed to be um i think i think it is a u- really useful skill and i recommend every editor every director does this is to at least cut edit one project just to understand the editing process, because I feel like directors who shoot with an edit in mind, thats not say don't shoot coverage or anything, but just having an idea when you're shooting about how this shot might fit in with another shot, I think is super useful. And I think I've like Dylan, for example, has worked a lot as an editor before, and you can definitely tell when you see his rushes because he's yeah. thinking about those transitions and those links and how to get from this shot to this shot.
0: One thing that just came to mind when you were saying that about, about collaborators, I think it's really, really important. It's a really, really important point because what is the point of bringing someone talented on yeah. if if they're just going to carry out a set of instructions? You're going to punch in. Completely. You really want yeah. that. You really want that individual to. <laughs> and it brings me on to a, a thing that I wanted to share with you actually. Yeah, so the short I've just done um, that I'm finishing in the next couple of weeks myself mixing. The editor on that was very much inspired by you, oh. and he told me. And, and I remember wow. him telling me this to tell you. Uh, and he's, he, he did the f- directing fiction course at NFTS when you were there. His, his name's Ian Robertson. Oh, yeah, I know him. And he's, he's, he's moved into being an, an editor, and he's a ah, fantastic editor, and he's now amazing. my uh, editor, and I'm going to probably collaborate with him on other projects. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that one of the things that he learned from you was about how uh, prolific you were in working on different projects to, um, like you said, just to like, you know, think like somebody else and learn something else and, 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 and work a different muscle. So um, and working with him for me has been has been joyous because he's a director mm-hmm. as well as an editor mm-hmm. and it was just amazing to be able to bounce an idea from him as an editor but as a director as well. Yeah, thought, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Um, so he could see a scene and bring it to me different. Um, after I've exhausted what my vision was, it's like, okay, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think this. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's better. That's the right, you know. So yeah, man
2: that's so nice to hear like yeah, I love it. That's, really, that's really sweet <laughs> he's... <laughs> and he's definitely yeah, definitely has one of those people who has an editor's brain, like even when I you know knew him as a director, so that's that's really great that he's he's flexing that as well yeah yeah, 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 and so what what is your
1: process when you're putting together the assembly like your your first cut or the editor's cut, like what are you looking for, and are you working from the script or the storyboards at all?
2: My job as an editor is to you know, take the script and then give the director my best interpretation of, of that script. Like initially. So I'm, you know, I'm watching those rushes. I'm picking out the stuff that feels like, you know, really great to me, whether it's like performance or you know, a nice shot or hopefully everything together. Um <laughs> and then um I'm putting that together into a first assembly. You know, you know, cross checking with the script. And then I guess from there I guess it depends on the project, but you know usually at that point when i have a full director's cut i then show that to the director you know, mm. give their thoughts and then i go away and sort of make kind of my version of it i guess like what i think is the best articulation of the script and that might mean losing shots and and um losing dialogue and, and reinterpreting scenes um but it's all that to try and make what i think is is the the original vision of the director and mm. then yeah and then obviously then we'll sit down and work together and you know try out stuff together and try and Make make the best version of it. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess I'm just I'm asking that question just because mm. obviously we have to leave editors to do the first cut, <laughs> and so I think now now directors can know what you guys are up to when they're not there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean it, it's not very. We are just sitting and watching the rushes. So <laughs> it's only best that you guys aren't there. Yeah,
0: <laughs> just just to just tie up one of the other questions um, yeah. about things that you've seen. So are there any? and if your answer is no then i won't put this bit in are there any reoccurring errors you see directors make on set that you're like oh fuck it's one of them again not in a negative way just as in like it's it's, it's that that's happened again is it coverage
2: yeah i mean sometimes i mean if a shot if like if, if it's you know they're showing the journey of someone walking from inside a house to outside a house and they don't show them opening the door then it's a bit tricky <laughs> <laughs> to make that work yeah, yeah it's mostly like like. Continuity, but when it's like continuity, continuity to the story, or mm. even like emotional continuity, I think that's like a bigger thing. Actually, that's harder to cut around. Like you can cut, you can cut around someone opening the door sometimes, but you can't cut around a character going from one emotion and then suddenly going to another emotion and not not having the mm. transition between that. That's really hard to make work because that's what the audience is following. And if they're if they're thrown because they're like, wait, wait, I thought this character was angry and now they're crying, like. You, it's really hard to make that to to figure out a way around that in an edit i think that's a good note i've just kind of gone through shooting something
1: myself and the emotional peak of Mm -hmm. the the film there's like rain which happens Mm -hmm. midway through the scene and obviously scheduling is that like we can't afford to rebuild a set if it gets trashed by rain so we had to do all the rain stuff last right um which then met i I didn't know what was going to lead the actor up to the emotional high point i was guessing Uh, so that was uh, definitely one of the the tricky mm -hmm. tricky things is is that we found was the emotional continuity like Mm -hmm. for sure like unless it does build fluently it can immediately take you out of it whereas you can kind of get away with someone's hand being in the wrong place
2: yeah completely and i remember having like on the last tree uh, i was still very lucky that i got to be on set um during the shoot and so I was cutting the rushes as they were coming in, and there were definitely times kind of big emotional transitions like between you know the character at one age and then you cut and then we cut to them older and mm. would make sure how that transition was going to work emotionally and I could cut it together and then go, okay, I think I think we need to shoot some extra stuff here to make to show this build.'
1: That's, that's great that Shola was also down to have you there and get involved and let you bring that value that's That's really really cool it seems like you've got like a a great relationship
0: yeah yes definitely
1: Super, yeah
0: do you ever get asked to cut say say if there's a director that you've got a shorthand with that you you know frequently frequently collaborate with mm? will they be like right i'm namiri i've got this idea it's this this and this can you cut together like i want to cut together a sizzle reel but i wanted to feel like this do you get involved like from that early on, on projects at all
2: uh, not in a while i did actually with the, with the Last Tree, I'm trying to remember now. I think with The Moving Image, Shola's first film, I cut together the Kickstarter video. I, think, I feel like I remember doing that. And so that was essentially the, what you were saying. And then for The Last it Tree is. as well, um, Shola was developing it with BFI, I think it was on iFeatures. And for that application, I cut a scissor reel. Um, for that, I think, yeah, I think it's actually just depending on the director. Like I think Shola is someone who really likes doing that kind of thing. Um, was like, the new debut, for example doesn't at all, so I just haven't <laughs> had that in a while, but yeah, I definitely haven't gotten involved with that early and and how do you manage the process from delivering
0: like a dreaded first cut in because when the director hits it inevitably, yeah, you've got to kind of like pick up the pieces, and you must have been in that position <laughs> countless times, yeah, it's or like do you
2: just know it now do you just do you, do you just know it now, <laughs> and yeah, I'm so used to it I mean I think i I've like started uh especially with first time directors just trying to gently like break it to them they're, they're going to watch a cut and they're going to hate it like it's just inevitable like because it's not it's nothing to do with the cut it's the fact that they're seeing yeah. the decisions the, the that they made that they either you know did wrong or they didn't what well, didn't execute to the way they had it in their heads or they're just not seeing the person in the film that was like it's going to be the worst version of the film that's always going to be the worst version of the film and so yeah. you kind of have to like yeah talk talk them through it and not kind of hold their hands they're not in a, you're in a bad way or anything like i don't mind doing that it's just that is just the process of making films have you ever had the opposite where
0: someone's like this is sick like
2: yeah yeah i uh, I remember the the one that surprised me most is on blue story um because rap you know the director he he'd done some shorts but he'd not made um a feature before and so kind of his first time and we put together the first cut but kind of a little bit of input for him it was kind of an a, no, editor's cut but he had a little bit of input and it was like three hours long. And <laughs> we watched it. And he was like, this is amazing. This is so great. We're done. What are we, we going to do with the next like few months? <laughs> we had to like, and I was like I'm, I'm really glad that you love this, but we are going to, there is a lot of work. And we are going to, we're about to get a lot of feedback. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so. It, it, it ended up being like 90 minutes as well. Yes. Yeah,
2: so we, we cut off half of <laughs> um, And it was good. And he was happy. And he, you know, he definitely, you know, acknowledges that that final version was way better than that first version. Um, but I think because he just hadn't done that before he didn't realize that the scope of what you could do And so that was kind of an experience for him.
0: And, and, and really, you know in the anticipation of notes, right? You So, like, say if, there's a, say if there's a scene, I don't know if it's like, off the top of my head, just say it's a car chase scene, for example, right? Or, or, or there's a really specific thing that's gonna happen. How much do you know, because you know like this is just gonna get a shitload of notes, I don't want to massage it and shape it too much, yeah. because inevitably someone's going to dismantle it and I will have to reassemble it how do you What? Or, or, what, what is your approach do you I want to get this really into
2: a, a shape that I want or are you literally just going to assemble the script I think there's a balance and I also think it depends on time um, if you're if you know that you've got the whole film to assemble then yeah at that point I, I would put like I do as much as I could on it basically I guess my answer is that I would try and get it as close as possible to what I think is the final version um, but I'd have to yeah I'd balance that based on how much time I have to, to do that I guess it wouldn't be, it wouldn't put me off knowing that I'm going to get notes on it. I think the people giving notes are expecting to see what I think is the best version of the scene. And so if I'm showing them something that I don't even think is ready to show or like is only like a half articulated version of the scene, I think it's, I think it's kind of unfair to them. And also the immediate things I'm going to get are going to be more. (laughs) Um, If I can get, if I can get as close as possible to like what I think is the finished version of the scene, even knowing that. You know, if if they don't like it, I would have to unpick it. I think I'd rather do that.
1: It's quite a difficult process, isn't it, going through notes? Because as you kind of get higher up the pyramid, there's more notes, and there's, <laughs> the deadlines <laughs> yeah. are more rigid. And yeah. so, like you're delivering something, even though you know there's lots of issues, and you probably know mm-hmm. what the issues are, yeah, but yeah. you're still mm-hmm. having to deliver it. So, how do you manage that?
2: um Yeah, I've just done I've done it so many times now, so I'm kind of used to that process. I think it, I think it becomes, especially with first time directors, it becomes a lot of like holding their hands and letting them know, you know, they're going to receive notes. It's it's going to be annoying because there'll be stuff that we've already discussed and I'm sure you've probably had this loads of times from you know all of your guests on the podcast but it's kind of like looking at the note behind the note and and going okay what is the you know executive producer or whatever what are they what is it that's throwing them and how do we solve that and that, and that you know sometimes they're really great and, it, and they, they do articulate that in the note but sometimes they're they're just showing this, this, they're pointing out the symptom and you have to go back and like work yeah. out what the full diagnosis is, because it's usually that the area which they're pointing out is
1: the area where something needs fixing, or the setup for that moment exactly yeah. earlier on is not quite right. Yeah, but it's, it's, <laughs> the notes are always painful. Um, and so, if a, a story or a sequence isn't quite working the way that you or or the director sorry is imagining, um, mm-hmm. how do you work through that and communicate that with the director or creatives who might be married to that one way of it working um, yeah. and how do you get them to kind of see it another way or kind of yeah navigate that
2: yeah I mean it's tricky in that specific situation when when they love it but I know I think there's a better version uh that's always really tricky I think at that point all you can really do is I guess if you're if you're in the middle of the process and there's still other stuff you're working on sometimes I find it useful to like just take a break from it and allow them to live with that version in their heads and we go away and work mm. on something else and then maybe like a few weeks later they'll be like hey is that is that scene actually as good as I thought it was <laughs> uh, and then you can be like oh funny you used to say that I actually I've been thinking the same thing <laughs> or you you know what I, what I find is useful is just if I have time to go away and just try what my version of the scene is and, and just kind of figure that out and work through it because also I could be wrong <laughs> maybe that is the best version of the scene and I'm just stuck on like some idea that I had um, and so it gives me time if I have time alone and can figure that out and and then any pieces from that that I like, I'll then, i I'll, then, I'll then just say that and say, I know you've liked this version, but what if, what about these ideas? You know, then just go from there. Sometimes I love it, sometimes I hate it. Sometimes I go, okay, I hate most of it, but what about this one? What about this one mm. thing? I didn't, I didn't notice that other take or that other shot that, that was in the rushes. How about we put that into the main version? There was a moment in the last tree where the lead
1: character who's got like a, a complicated relationship with the teacher. Mm-hmm and because the teacher I think can see that he's not a bad kid and they're just hurt and there's an emotional moment in the film when he's mm-hmm. sort of alone with the teacher in the classroom yeah. and then I remember being in the audience like at that point I was like oh well I know where this is going this is like goodwill hunting it's not your fault <laughs> let's go over with but, but then it was like the way you edited it you kind of like intercut it so that mm-hmm. you couldn't quite tell during that emotional moment whether when he's having a breakdown like in crying in the teacher's arms you can't tell whether he's Crying, or he's trying to fight him because of the way you've edited it. And like, I'm not usually cu- like good editing is when you're not conscious of it. But yeah. I knew that you edited it, so <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, he's done a good job there. So yeah, I'm intrigued to know like how you go about creating something like that, or like subverting you- a scene or a sequence, and how do you create that space for yourself?
2: And so first, I'm just so so great you, you you highlighted that because that was that is probably my my favourite scene I've edited in that film. Uh, and, mm. when, and that scene went on such a long journey. So basically every version of the scene up to that point was essentially that good, good hunting scene. And we kept mm. getting like notes from the exec, you know, the BFI saying, you know, in Kibwe, ads, uh, not Kibwe, sorry, uh, Solo and I were really happy with it. We kept going, no, we kept screening the whole film to the execs and they kept going, you know, this scene's great and you'll get, it definitely makes sense and everything. But I feel like we can go bolder. I feel like there's a, there's a bolder version of this. I remember they kept using that word. And so mm-hmm. no, like going away after the screening, being like, what does that mean? What do we do? <laughs> we're using the best takes. Like, we this is ready. like, we knew we were using the best, you know, the best, mm-hmm. the best performances and everything like that. We'd gone through all of the, all of the um, rushes. Uh, and then I remember, I think maybe it was the third time uh, we had that note. I was like, okay, go away, give me some time. And I went through, I watched every, like, all of the rushes, like, before and after the take, like, everything that could possibly be used for that scene. And I just Mm. pulled out the stuff that I liked, like regardless of like working out how to cut it together. Um, And then I, yeah, and then I just tried this like very much, I guess a lot more abstract approach, um, a lot more Mm. kind of impressionistic approach. It was like, how do we experience a scene as the character is experiencing it? And he's in this kind of like weird state. He, I don't know if you remember, but the scene before he, um, well, a couple of scenes earlier, he uh, smoked some weed. So he's like kind of high. He's mm. super angry, super emotional, and he's having this like um, huge emotional breakdown. And so it's about how do we like show that from a kind of subjective impressionistic experience and, and show how fragmented that that feeling is. And and yeah, and kind of not not worry about being to the script or being conventional anyway. Or worry about like you know, making sure we have all the lines of dialogue in and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so we yeah. <laughs> spent ages and ended up with essentially that and did like when you presented that did Shola like
1: it immediately or was he like eh, or... yeah
2: he was like oh <laughs> cool I see it I see what the noble's now <laughs> I get it I And mean, we, I think we changed like one thing maybe we took out one shot and then that was it that was that's the scene that was in the film
1: well I guess that's where notes can be useful right and that's kind of them, exactly yeah. what you're saying is that like it just forced you to interrogate what you were doing and push yourselves creatively to do something more interesting which is what they can do, do rather than just going away and digging your heels in and being like well it's
2: fine exactly yeah <laughs> i'm so glad we did that and I, and I think you know i don't think the note i don't think the exec had that final version of the scene in their heads they weren't they didn't know what we were going to do they just knew that mm. they were watching it and they were feeling like it could be better and so they all mm. "Worse then kind of yeah as you say interrogate and work out what the what the better version of the scene could be i Love think that. that's um i i guess
0: that's um the execs sort of like earning their crust, isn't it they, yeah. they could see something that was bumping for them and you know they could have gone with all well, the creatives are saying that this scene is fine, mm-hmm. but no, there's a bit. You know, you know and they kept saying it. They might, like you said, the note behind the note. They might not have articulated it any further than what it was. But mm-hmm. I guess it pushed you guys to go deeper and not te- the the low hanging fruit. the next days, or the next days, exactly, reach yeah. right up. Yeah, to yeah. find In- a version of it that 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 is really really good. So yeah, great. yeah. If
2: I if I was an exec, I, I guess it depends on who the creatives are. But if I was an exec, I feel like the go back just bolder note is actually really, really good and yeah. really is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. open enough to you know, allow the creatives to come up with their own interpretation of it.
0: That's really, that's a really good way of looking at it, actually. So how do you manage working with directors who are
2: actually in the room? <laughs> you know? How do I do that? I don't know. I think I, I mean, as I said earlier, I really enjoy um, collaborating. And so I think that I, I, yeah, I love having directors in the room. And in fact, I remember when I was at film school the head of editing either at the time um took me aside after the first time was like you know you need to spend time while you're editing not with the director like you gotta you gotta kick them out at some point <laughs> <laughs> I was like okay i guess so but yeah but I, I i i'm used to it and i think because of my experience in commercials um it sort of forced me to be fast enough that i can just work with the director in the room and, and try out stuff live like i think you know there's some editors who are just you know really great but just, just slower at doing tasks. And so it's a bit frustrating, I think, for a director to sit in a room with them. Um, so I think it's a good skill for director, for an editor to have is to be able to try out notes in real time. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just sitting with them, watching a scene, talking through it, trying out ideas. I mean, I think the, yeah, different directors like different things. Some like to see notes executed together and I work through it together. Some like to give their feedback and then go away and then come back the next day and see what you've tried first time it's a combination of both
0: thank you I want to get your your thoughts on this Marcus and I recorded a, a whether it's out yet I don't know by the time this goes out but we recorded a, an episode about our post-production experiences and mm. um, both our f- respective shorts. and one of the re- revelations for me has been on my sort of like creative journey in the last couple of years is how the editing process for me what? I don't know if it's a realization or a discovery as a director, because obviously you, you you you're so vulnerable when you go into the edit, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you plan for the final cut. What you're planning for in your head is the final cut. You're not planning yes. for the journey that you're going to go yes. on. Yeah, I really discovered that if you you know if you got the right collaborators around you, it really is about redoing the film. You are re you are re discovering the film. You shot it, but that's not what you're assembling. You're assembling a new version of it based on Literally, what you yeah. shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to get your your thoughts on that. Rather than editing being seen as a process of right, this is the third stage of just assembling what we've got, and that's the film. No, it's not. It's another. It's another. It's
2: another writer. you write it again. Um, yeah, million, million percent. Totally agree. I think. I mean, I think the first step for the edit is that it's you know the editor trying the best they can to show the director exactly what they've shot, exactly <laughs> as close as possible they can get to the script. But then, yeah, that is just a launching pad. And, and then you're going in and going, think, you know, thinking back to the original vision, how do I make this version of the film? How, how do I take what I have, the materials that I have, and, and create a film that is the essence of the film I had in my head originally, but not necessarily is one that you know, follows the script or follows what we've shot um and sometimes you say what is the original vision but also then having to come to terms with what I, what what they've shot and going okay what is the new vision <laughs> like how do i yeah. maybe maybe i didn't i don't have something that can i don't have the material that, that can fully articulate that original vision but i guess now the vision has changed and, and yeah what is that new version of the film what is the best version of the film it's not necessarily that the director has made obviously yes sometimes
0: but it's not necessarily that you've made mistakes yeah you know? that's okay. just that's just the circumstances that you've arrived at post-production with
2: yeah, yeah and it, yeah exactly it's not it's not necessarily mistakes and it is it's a good thing that i think that it isn't that same original vision because it means that as a director you've you've collaborated and you've responded to the actors who were given their input and the and the crew who were all given their input and it means that you've come hopefully come up with something better and
0: and then you can kind of like and i'm saying this from a personal experience mm-hmm. then you can let go of any of the frustration of that
2: yeah. and actually embrace the new completely yeah because if I mean, that is why the first cut is always going to be bad because you're taking jigsaw pieces that don't fit into the original jigsaw and trying to jam them in. If it works, it means you've done something wrong because you've you've not yeah listened to the to the team around
1: you. I noticed mean, the thing as well is that like when shit like that happens and it becomes something unexpected and for the better it's still your film as a director like you've still Mm -hmm. made it you're still the one that shot everything (laughs) exactly (laughs) you've still done everything like which you needed to to create that story like just because it's slightly different it doesn't mean that it's been ripped away from you it's just that's just the process isn't it
0: yeah it's you're 100% right but I think that the thing is that there's the vision which is as directors is having the vision but then there's an element of uncertainty that comes mm-hmm. with arriving at the funny finish line that yeah. you have
2: to embrace and isn't yeah. part of the vision, and that's the process mm. completely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's going is this good or you know is this better than what is this the right version? Like because uh, yeah, that's the thing with definitely editors struggle with, but you know also directors and everyone involved in the film is like there's a million choices, right? It's, um, mm. it's the yeah you yeah, eventually you're gonna have to pick one, and you have to decide if this is, if this is the one that feels right to you. No, I think that's
1: exactly it. Is there is there ever points where you get stuck with a story where something's just not working or landing? Because I remember I learned a lot whilst at NFTS about like what the edit could do, and largely from Asher, to be honest, if, mm-hmm. if you remember yep, yep, um, yep. our tutor mm-hmm. who recently passed. Mm-hmm. But he would always say like, "There's not a single problem which can't be solved through editing." <laughs>
2: <laughs> he made a lot of bold claims, Asher. Yeah. Uh, I know. I mean, I don't know. I I think so. I remember I have a, I have a really great Asha story. In that I remember one day we were editing um, at school this documentary project. It's called Doc Poetry. which so I don't know if they still do, mm. but it's kind of a, uh, sort of abstract documentary. And I remember one day he came into my edit suite because he was, he was a tutor for us. He came into my edit suite and watched it. What's stuck out, essentially, so they in and out, kind of randomly on the timeline, and just hit delete. <laughs> and the director and I were just in shock. We <laughs> were like, wait, what? <laughs> and he was like, see, now it's better. <laughs> and, and it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely, we were like, yeah, but reeling for a while. But then I realised he was right. I mean, it, it only went for that film because it was a film about epilepsy and it was about like, was, his, his argument was that this kind of film, it needed the absence of something in order to fully realise the idea of epilepsy. Did it actually work, what he did, it, as was? It or... did not as was, the concept, <laughs> it worked. And, and that was great because okay. it challenged us to then like find the good version of that. Um, and that made mm. the film way, way better than it was. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess I kind of agree that in-edit can save a film, but I think save is a strong word because I think it it can't mm. necessarily make the film, make the original film, but you can definitely take material and make something good with it, I think. and it, Yeah. As you said earlier, like, I think it's about the director, like letting go of what that original intention was and embracing because
1: yeah. Yeah. I think that's it and we saw it a lot working well, when was on House of the Dragon and stuff is where things don't work as originally intended and you're yeah. kind of looking at what, why I like editing is that you have what you have there's no yeah. variables yes. like anymore it's mm-hmm. just like you have what you have and yeah. you have to be creative to make the best out of it like this is your clay like yeah. go yeah. build something it's then the challenge is, is to think about the image in terms of the image not in terms of your intention yeah. so it's like What's going on in this shot? Even though it might be like be from like four scenes earlier, but it's the same character in similar state, mm-hmm. like in the same location, is like can that be used later on? To
2: yeah, save yeah.
1: You in a different way.
2: Well, what I was going to say though, not to contradict everything we've just said, but <laughs> I'm working in animation <laughs> at the moment, which mm. is an absolutely amazing experience, and I'm like totally discovering new skills. Can you say that? It. Is that all right to say, Mw? Yeah, yeah. I, an can, I can say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can say some things, just not everything what's kind of blowing my mind is that it's like the opposite to live action in that i have total freedom to create anything and that i'm not, i'm never restricted <laughs> to oh this shot has to be this certain way or this character has to look in this direction or even this character has to be in the scene or even that this scene mm. exists um, mm. and that's amazing but also terrifying it's kind of like you're know, making you're putting together you know, when you're making a film you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle and you have these pieces and you're working out the best jigsaw to put together but now I can change each piece however mm. I want. <laughs> and yeah, it's only sort of new skill to have, to, to kind of, to learn as an editor. What a blessing though, to have that sort of like, yeah. freedom of
1: creativity in storytelling as well.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of, I had never been in a writer's room, but it's what I imagine being in a writer's room to be like, And that mm. I'm having a lot of, you know, quite big story conversations, you know, with the director and with the writer and with our head of story. Yeah, at no point are we locked in, like a scene has to be a certain way. Does it kind of, like, tickle
0: your ego when you are in the edit and, like a magician, you can take something that wasn't intended in the shot at all that was from another part of the film and you bring it into there and it just serves the story beautifully in it's like the audience will never know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love doing that. I uh, And I think certain films give you the freedom to do that and sound you know, a bit trickier, depending on how they're shot. But, uh, yeah, it's always a beautiful thing. Like, I remember The uh, Last three, like, spoiler alert, but... The the end of the last three, there's a moment where we flash back to the beginning of the film, uh, and that wasn't it wasn't scripted, it wasn't shot for that intention at all, um, but something yeah we discovered in the edit and we realised it was it made the scene so much uh, more powerful and so much more emotional than it would have been without it. So mm, yeah, it's always a great day. You always like pop the champagne after after something like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Pat yourself on the back. And so, um, unless there's any more questions you want to throw about the edit process, as we'll kind of move on to the yeah, let's the, go on. the last couple of questions. So you've always directed yourself, but uh, you're now kind of like formalising that a bit more uh, with your short film Original Skin, which is currently travelling the festival circuit. So what are your future aspirations with directing? And I also saw that you worked with an editor on that. So how did you <laughs> go about working with them as a director? And what was that process like?
2: Yeah, uh, I'll answer that one first, I think super fascinating, interesting, and challenging. Um, I wonder what Amber would say about it. <laughs> but you should bring her <laughs> on and ask her, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, I'd worked with an editor before on a short, I did, like but just at um, university. So I had a little bit of a warning about what that experience would be like. But I think I sort of fearlessly went into it going, okay, I know how to edit. So that means I know how to direct and edit. Um, and then realized very quickly that there were two very different skills. Um, and, that, uh, you know, if I'm directing an edit, I can't just like, I can't just, I can't just cut a version of the scene and go, uh, fix a problem by putting two shots together. Like I have to be able to work out what it is that isn't working and then articulate my, articulate that feeling and do it in a way that the editor's going to understand you know, and, and then allow them the freedom to work out how to solve that problem. Yeah, like it's a lot of it's a lot of communication. I guess essentially, <laughs> like like all parts of directing are. And so yes, yeah, so that was that was tricky. And and I, and I think poor Amber, I had to like learn that through the process of like, okay, this is this is how we this is how I work as a director in an editing suite. Did you find it helpful though to kind of have the distance, like that step back, or did you yeah, find it difficult? Oh, completely. I mean, I think that was that was why I wanted to work with Amber. Apart from the fact that she's amazing, um, but just why I wanted to work with someone else in general was because I knew, I've seen directors go into edits and not be able to have that freedom and, and not be able to sort of separate themselves. And I've seen directors cut stuff themselves and and you can tell they've just they've just tried to force it into, they basically had the, the first cut, they tried to force it into what they had in their heads and you can tell it didn't mm-hmm. work, but they didn't allow themselves to, to try something else. Um, and mm-hmm. so I definitely didn't want to, I've, I've seen that happen, so I wanted to avoid that experience for me, myself. Um, and it was great I'm so glad I'm so glad I did that because we definitely ended up with a film that wasn't the original version of the film amazing I'm <laughs> intrigued to see it whenever it comes out. Yeah. It. It's, it's Encounters next isn't it so, yeah I think that's the next festival yeah
1: congratulations
2: thank you oh uh, I didn't I just realised oh. I didn't answer your other, your answer, answer your other question um, oh what was that
1: Yeah, about the other <laughs> stuff I'm doing Um. oh yes Future Aspirations as a director
2: yeah I mean I think I definitely have any plans to stop editing. I really love editing and, and collaborating with directors. And so I wanna keep doing that for as long as I can. Um, but I guess alongside, since I started getting interest, been interested in the film, I've always felt like I had stuff I wanted to say myself. And so I'd love to keep having the opportunity to, to, to do that. I'm currently do, yeah, developing a sort of feature version of the short, sort of set in the same world. Um, and then there's another project that I've been co-writing and hopefully gonna, gonna direct as well. So yeah, so we'll see what what, what happens in the in the future. but. Hopefully we can t- continue to direct.
1: Yeah, so it's all moving. And I guess the, the last question was, what is the future looking like for you as an editor as well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you touched on it earlier in that you're you're in LA. Yes. Um, so <laughs> intrigued to know what you're up to, what you can say. Um, and yeah, what's the future beyond that?
2: Yeah, so is it two years ago now? I think probably coming up to two years ago. Um, I was working with a director um, on a project and he turned to me and was like, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do this animated feature in LA. Do you want to move out there and join me and I was like yes definitely I mean as I keep saying like I, I I, really like the opportunity to like do something new and something I've not done before and kind of learn a new skill uh okay what can I say let me try and work this out it's a animated film based on the childhood of Wyclef Jean from the Fugees oh, wow. um yeah. and and so the film's set in Haiti and you know I've never worked on a project set in Haiti before and I said I've discovered lots about Haitian history like I knew some but so much mm. more since I've been on this project. Yeah, and it's, I guess, kind of a musical. And yeah, I've been working on it since 2020. So it's, I'm now, well, end of 2020, I guess. And yeah, yeah, so it's now, yeah, been two years, two and a half years. Uh, have, you got on, a long, have you got a long, long way to go still? Yeah, so, well, one, I don't know if I can actually say when the release date is, but also I think the release date you know, can change because yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a fluid process. But I think in a couple of years, um, time, um, the yeah. film you released great and i guess with that
1: because it's animation it must be quite sporadic as well so you can do other stuff in the meantime is that right uh, or i actually Oh
2: kind of the opposite to be honest it's kind of um it's it's full-on with storyboards and the you know, animatics and stuff um that's basically been my life for the last two years and then you know we have previews mm. and layout and the stages of animation but at each stage My team is still going, we're still putting shots into the edit and reworking stuff, and the the scene's still being rewritten and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so, actually, a headed animation. It's funny, everyone keeps asking me, people don't have experience with animation, keep going, Oh, you're doing animation, that must be so easy. Like, you're just putting in the shots at the end. (laughs) (laughs) And it's actually probably the hardest project I've ever worked on in my life. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's the the writer, um, Michael Arndt, who did Toy Mm -hmm. Story 3. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His website, uh, I think it's called Pandemonium, I think it's Mm -hmm. called. But he's got a one. He's got a feature-length thing where he talks about Toy Story Three In and there, his there. frustrations with it. Yeah, and he said we with the, we we just kept doing the, the animatics with the brain trust over and over and over again. Mr. He he, uh, he said he goes, I was he goes, I got to the point where I want to jump across the room and fucking strangle Andrew Stanton <laughs> because because he was just so frustrated with it. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. but it it, it, allow, it it allows you to get sort of like so
2: refined in what you're saying um, um over and over and over again yeah. by doing the animatics i mean it's why animated films you know are, uh, for the most part especially the pixel ones are so structurally and story-wise like perfect mm. because they've you have the opportunity to go over everything and make sure that mm. you've got all the each scene has a an arc and a setup and a payoff and the, the first act is setting up the third act and you know all of those little details you, you just have you can work all of that in Animations are very dense as well. Like, yes. in terms...
1: There's even the moments, see, like, in Across the Spider-Verse, if you've seen that, where, mm-hmm. like, I can't remember what's happening, but they're traversing from one place to the next, but they pass mm-hmm. the kid who's, like, looking the window. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, little shit like that. It's just, like... <laughs> <laughs> someone's had to think of that, animate it, and, like, put it in and know it's going to land. Like, yeah. that's... Yeah, I mean... But the, the amount of work, and that's throughout.
2: Completely, and it, it's it's my kind of dream because it's, it's a collaborative process, like, times a million because there's so many people involved who are, all able, who are Creative geniuses and can all you know, put their put throw those ideas on the table. We we haven't had any strangulations yet, but, um, <laughs> but we do one. Uh, we we have a colleague who was at Pixar and and, and they have a lot of stories. Of you know, how, mm. how how I mean, crazy intense those those experiences are. Yeah, yeah, imagine. yeah.
1: Well, strangulations pending. <laughs> um, cool. Thank you for that. I think we'll just move on to our final section now, which is the the nugget of the week. So that's me and Oz. We consume so much content uh, around around learning and directing each week um, and also about life. So we, we figure we'd like to to throw out what's inspired mm-hmm. our guest uh, to the audience. So what has inspired you this week, Imdemiri?
2: What has inspired me? I could have been so busy, I don't know if I've consumed as much content as you guys. <laughs> I did watch, speaking of Dylan who did uh, uh, Devil's Harmony, he directed the show called The Servant, called mm. Servant I think, which is M. Night yeah. Shyamalan's show um, on Apple TV. And I sort of binge watched the whole thing recently because I was looking for new stuff to watch. And I think what I really loved about it, and I made me think a lot about my own work, is it doesn't really explain anything. <laughs> Like it, <laughs> it, it does a really good job of of holding back on telling the audience kind of anything really. And I remember at the end of the first season, I was like, I still have no idea what's going on. I kind of know nothing. Mm. But I think I'm more confused than I was when I started. And it, and it's and it's really fun. It's a really great. Obviously, it depends on the show, but it really works for me that. Like constantly asking questions, and I think as an audience, it made the whole experience more enjoyable. And I think so much stuff I've seen is too afraid to do that, and a lot of directors are afraid to do that, and uh, and in execs as well. And they they want to kind of put everything up front and tell the audience everything. There's a real joy and confidence in treating the audience as intelligent viewers and giving them the the fun experience of just like asking questions and enjoying the atmosphere and and with with the you know confidence that eventually they are going to have answers told to them but they don't need that right away
1: did you you've seen it all now you're saying
2: uh, yes I've now what's the whole thing
1: did you get the answers that you needed
2: I got the answers yes definitely I think it took, it took a while probably not even let <laughs> me end of second season I started to figure out what was happening But did you, te- okay. did you not text Dylan and say what's going on on this bit <laughs> I did actually I texted him He I think he directed the third season and maybe a bit of the fourth. So yeah, I don't remember texting anyone I was watching it, being like, okay, what? I have no idea what's happening. What did you do? do?" (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: And what's inspired you this week, Oz? Um, My an episode of Script Notes four hundred and three, episode four hundred and three, called How to Write a Movie. And it's by um, the great Craig Mason. And I just love that he, what he talks about is how a lot of writers jump out of the gate and they act one, they're really strong. And then they kind of like get scared and put off by going from act one to act two uh, oh. and, and, and the, the character journey from act two to three. Mm-hmm. And he just talks about how he loves that bit. And it kind of like, I, I listened to it many years wow. ago and it, and it kind of like changed my perspective on that as well. And mm-hmm. I too now love that bit. So yeah.
1: And about you? Um, for me, it's... Uh, it's a YouTube video, as of a Studio <laughs> Binder, which I, I love as a channel. It's quite good for everyone, really. But definitely, like beginners, there's a video called How to Direct Actors, Directing Advice from the Greats. So it kind of sections it up and talks about how to give notes and how to communicate with them and stuff. And it will have anecdotes from various sorts of directors. And it's like, well, this person does it this way and Spielberg does it this way. So, like, n- all of them are great filmmakers and all of them are right and all have their own process. But... Yeah basically don't confuse the actors so yeah there's there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's. It, I found it really like insightful just even just for the nuggets and just how specific it is and what it's what it's yeah. saying so I highly but recommend that
2: that's really freeing right like I remember the same with editing like there's this book called Out of the Cat put together by a guy called Steve Holfish he's an ma- amazing guy I got to meet him a few times um, and he basically goes around the world like interviewing editors um, on all kinds of different projects and he so he has a Website where you can read these interviews, but then he also compiled a book uh, where mm. he groups them by by subject. So you get like a chapter on assemblies and it'd be different editors talking about how they assemble. And yeah, that was the most exciting thing about it was that everyone go, everyone did it in a different way. <laughs> it's like, oh, cool, yeah. there is no way of doing it. There is no right way. And my, my crazy way of watching assemblies is like, it's fine as long as you get to the same, like it's all about how you get to the end result. So your process is your process.
1: Yeah, exactly that. Well, thank you so much, Mw. It's been yeah. amazing. It's been super insightful. We've, thank we've you. Trying to get an on for a while, so it's been it's been nice, even just to catch up. Yeah, no, cool. definitely. Thanks for having me. And it's um it's been great to see how to see your journey, really, and just seeing how far you're climbing, and you're only just at the beginning. So it's it's amazing. Excited to see where you go from here as well.
2: Thanks so much. Hey, yeah, I was gonna say, uh, Mw, where can people find you online? If they, um, if they can yes they can uh going like to say bad on social media uh instagram probably is the best place to find me which is just my name so it's so easy we'll obviously put that in the the show notes for you to dig out if you want
1: to stan im all right
0: bro thank you so much man hey thank you thanks
1: yeah, so much appreciate it thanks mate Okay. All right, see you a bit. Okay. So that concludes the episode. Next week, I'm sure we're going to be joined by another exciting guest as ever. So follow socials to find out who we'll be having on. And if anyone does happen to be listening, get your questions in at the director's take at And we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large. And we'll do our best to tell you.
0: We want to share this as a resource for you. So do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram, which is the director's take podcast and also on Twitter, which is at director's take. And leave us a review on whichever platform you get your podcast from, because it really, really helps us. And share us on social media as well. Share share everything. Share away. We're still a new podcast and we
1: need the followers. So please share, share, share. And I think that's it. So until next time, keep learning, keep failing and keep the faith.